Rome wasn't built in a day, but they did use a lot of concrete. And Thomas the early bird catches the worm. Let's learn a thing or two. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Two Top Podcast. You're joined with me, Matt Berg, and my co-host, Thomas Lance. Welcome back for another week of Two Topic. All right, let's get down to it, Thomas. Matt. Please lead off with I'm, this week. I'm taking a little control here. I'm taking over the pilot's uh, wheel, or shall I say, yoke. Oh, it's, uh, they don't oh, have wheels oh. in planes. So, anyway, Thomas, I'm gonna dive right into this week. I have a topic that spurred from a wild night out. You know, sometimes those are really the best topics. Sometimes these little stories you hear from someone, this lore behind something mythical leads you to do a deep investigative research into the unknown. I could only imagine what your weekend entailed. This is something you may or may not have heard of. The worm. Oh, the dance. No, 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 no. Oh? In a beverage. The worm in a beverage. A mythical worm. Oh, boy. In an alcoholic beverage. Oh, wait. See, it rings a bell. That's what I said also. I was like, hmm. Are you talking about... Absinthe? Wormwood. Not, not just in absinthe, but but mezcal, which is similar to tequila, which many people ah. mix it up with. So after this crazy weekend with my friend, we were out, and he's like, let's get some drinks with a worm in it. And I'm like, what are you talking about, a worm? Like, that sounds so familiar. So he's like, yeah, there's this mythical worm, and if you eat the worm, you hallucinate or something wild. Sounds like something back in the day. Something back in the day. Some lore, some folklore behind it. And it truly is a folklore. So others have said this is an aphrodisiac, similar to like wine or like a chocolate, but to like a great extent where you can like control minds with it of this worm. And when I say worm, I mean like literally like an insect worm inside a beverage. Wait, I want to just jump to the chase. Did you, did you get a drink? No, I wasn't, I wasn't drinking. Oh. But this is just a hot topic. That came up at the table, and no one believed my pal John about the worm. So you did some research. So I did some research because I've heard of the worm, but I wasn't sure. And it's funny because through my research, I found so many people are split on this. Is it real? Is it not real? It's like, what is it, Thomas? What is it? I don't even know where you start to even look up this stuff. I just Google drink worm. Comes right up. Mezcal. Worm. Larva. Moth. And I'm like, this sounds gross. And But that's the magnificent thing behind the worm in the drink. It's so gross that it's a challenge to drink. And when it's a challenge to drink, you're going to drink it because it's a challenge. Someone's always going to step up. In south of the border, Latin America, Mexico, South America, machismo, it's like this like hierarchy of manhood, of, of toughness. Not just in men, in just humanhood, I'll call it. You know, it's just challenging humans to like gritty things so drinking the worm in a beverage and well drinking the beverage and then eating the worm is kind of a coming of age thing almost like a earn your right thing everybody has their own uh cultural upbringings and that's part of it and it's specific to a region in mexico um near tequila mexico but it's not to be confused with Tequila. Mezcal is similar to tequila in that it is from the agave plant, but it's from an oven cooked agave where they almost blacken it. So it's like a smokier, more refined 
alcohol. Smoky tequila. Smoky tequila, but it's not tequila. Don't call it's it not tequila. tequila. It's very different, and the makers behind it are very specific with their their processes of making this. They get the heart of the agave plant, and that is where our worm comes from. Oh, does the worm live in the middle of the? They feed off the heart of this agave plant. Oh, so there's some there's some stuff going on here. So historically, the worms would get cooked into the heart, but they wouldn't look like a worm. They'd just ash up, you know, they'd turn into it. And that's all the flavor behind Mezcal, and all the makers were like, this is what makes this drink so good historically. So, you know, maybe it's great, maybe it's not. Some people thought it was, some people thought it wasn't. So flash forward to today, some lower-end Mezcal drinks throw a worm in for appeal. Oh, like... Into it's the a drink. marketing gimmick in a way, but others really do claim it adds flavor. The more expensive mezcal beverages are normally the essence of the worm. I, I mean, so I you're see, not getting a solid worm in there. I see what the, I see why it would be more expensive. Obviously, you need a worm to go into the heart of the agave, which then you harvest and yeah. then you burn and i'll tell you what just really digging deep in recent years those specific worms which i'll get into have been seen to decrease in numbers so they're kind of becoming rare and almost endangered and there's other types there's actually types of beetles that can be in there also that are all kind of part of this lore behind it but yes there is a worm but my next question is what is the worm and is it psychedelic is it is it what type of worm worm is it is it a spiritual worm is it a physical worm does the worm really eat the heart of the tree it does eat the heart of the tree thomas it's called the gusano de magai or magay and it's actually a moth larva it's not a worm at all oh so it's just like a little little caterpillar it's like a little exactly it's a little little caterpillar it feeds off the magay plant and um through this plant they get your mezcal. Now, there are a couple different types of worms. There is the gusano rojo, which is red worm. There's the uh, gusano um, de oro, which is the gold worm, and it just eats the leaves, so that's a little different. People say the best one is the gusano rojo because it has the heart as its main diet, and the heart is what you make the mezcal out of. So thus, the worm eats the heart of the agave, and then you cook that worm and it has the most alcoholic content so yes they have tested in addition there is an actual aphrodisiac um, component to this worm the way it's absorbed into it so similar to like wine it has this um i'm not even gonna begin to try to pronounce the actual chemical compound but it's an aphrodisiac which is a pheromone involved in mechanisms and behaviors to attract um, diverse species such as insects and animals um so it's very potent in there and it, and it has the kind of scent of fresh cut grass that's not a bad smell not a bad smell at all so especially i assume you don't mind it at all no i like grass thomas the outdoors landscaping nature so this was all very interesting so the first companies to actually introduce adding a worm into the mezcal was the national vinicola um in and they went by the name Gusano Rojo Mezcal, which is just red worm Mezcal. Um, and then there are some other companies that came up. But normally they were cheaper Mezcals. The real kind was in the essence of the worm. And actually, a little fun fact, the two main characters of Breaking Bad were actually exploring Mezcal farms in Mexico, near Tequila, Mexico, to start their own brand. 
Interesting. Because it's a very trendy drink as of the late 2000s that started coming back. It used to be kind of like a country folk drink, kind of a folk drink. But now it's coming back to the But now it's culture. like a hipster drink in Mexican cities. Um, it's refined. It's like a, like you said, it's a smokier tequila, but it's not tequila. It's a refined. It's its own thing. So it's interesting. So where are we today? Yes, the marketing gimmick has worked. My friend even mentioned it the other night. He's like, we have to try the worm if there's a worm. Like, it's hallucinogenic. Well, people are going to buy it just for that because they're intrigued. And that's will the, it have the worm? That's yeah. the way you get product moving. That's how you get people the People will buy it just off intrigue, and lo- uh, intrigue alone. Yeah, you know? yeah. Now, I'm going to leave you with one um, tip for when you order Mezcal. If you find a snout weevil in your Mezcal, which is a type of beetle, it means you're drinking a really cheap Mezcal and you shouldn't be drinking it. Because we're not looking for a beetle. We're looking for some... Some larva. <laughs> some red worm. Some red worm larva. The red one. Because that eats the heart. It eats the heart and thus you eat the larva's heart eating the heart of the heart of the agave plant. All right. I think I, I think I understand now. Yeah. You know, that is an interesting creature. It goes it's back worm. deep in lore. And Matt, I think I'm going now. Take your spotlight. Take my spotlight. And throw it onto mine because I also have an ancient story of ancient roots. But I go a little further back and I go to the present. Matt, as you know, but I mean the people listening might not know, over the summer I worked in the concrete business. Yes, hard labor. Big concrete concrete, out in the sun working. And, you know, concrete as an architecture student and now working in the field with it, concrete's an interesting thing. If you told someone 300 years ago, I can give you a liquid that will turn into a solid that can hold a whole building up. You're kidding me. People won't. Yeah. Wait, they make that? I know. Crazy, right? Well, people think, oh, it's something of the 18th century. Well, it's because it was lost to time. People have been using concrete structures all the way back to, if you really want to think of it, 6,500 B.C., where there was Nabitia traders in the region of Syria and Jordan who used concrete floors and house structures and underground cisterns. And Egypt and China, they also used a mixture of mud and straw to bind bricks, so it was kind of a form of mortar that were actually in the Great Pyramids. Yeah. But the concrete that we lost to time that was known as the strongest was the Romans. The Roman Empire, they used concrete. Yeah. They utilized the materials so much that they were known for it. Think of the Pantheon. They made roads, too. I'm sure they, they poured concrete. But they did so many things. They did what we do now. They packed wooden forms. They made bricks. They used a mixture of volcanic, volcanic ash, lime, and seawater to form the mix. Well, they certainly which is, had plenty of volcanic ash, right? Pompeii had a, a little bit of a stockpile. Yeah. But... These concrete structures were so strong, it's because of the ingredients they used collided with Earth's natural chemistry. They knew the chemistry of the Earth. But, of course, during the Middle Ages and the fall of the Roman Empire, we lost the scriptures of how to make concrete. Was the it the Roman burning way. of Alexandria, the library? Some of were that the scrolls lost? I'm sure there was something in there. So a lot of information was we lost. All of a sudden, we lose we lose the knowledge of concrete for years and years, and it doesn't come back until 1793, where we take a big leap forward and we start to it's use a big leap, yeah. 
you know, we start to use concrete using lime and cement and limestone. And then in 1824, we have Joseph uh, uh, Aspin, who he invented Portland cement, which is a key ingredient in binding the aggregate and the sand all together to make concrete. And, you know, we went from not using it so long. It almost feels like a new material that's set so far in the past. But reinforced concrete that we use today, I mean, the Romans didn't need anything. The Romans didn't put any steel or anything into it, and they had stronger forms that still stand to today. Now, this is also due to the fact that when you have steel in, if it's not well done, the rusting of the steel can start to break down I was going to say, you could have a steel bar through a concrete pillar, and if the steel rusts out, then you have a hollow concrete pillar, which is weaker than if you had a solid one. So, like, you look at things similar to the Pantheon. The Pantheon's standing for hundreds of years, and the septa, the septa bridge where I park under is falling apart, and I see the rebar. <laughs> because Why is that, Thomas? Wait, explain that. It's That's such a good point. It's due to the oxidation of the rebar within the, the concrete and the steel I guess causes it to start to degrade. I guess when it comes to structural design, it's a matter it's very strong when the rebar and everything, the foundation is new. But as years go on, of course it's gonna degrade, but they have that calculated and they know when it's gonna wear to a point where they need to replace it. And it's in our American culture here we replace everything eventually so what's wild is concrete is a chemical reaction what's happening you know you're turning a liquid into a solid so those concrete trucks are kind of the minute all those ingredients are mixed a reaction starts and depending on how hot it is and how much water is in the mixture those trucks might only have 45 minutes to get unloaded on the site that would be a shame if you miss that 45 minutes i'm sure it happens a lot but this has actually caused a lot of problems. Think of big projects like the Hoover Dam. The Hoover Dam is a giant concrete dam. Yeah, it's a dam. It's a dam. The yeah. engineers were actually so worried about the concrete heating up so much that they had to insert pipes and a bunch of water cooling to make sure that, well, it just didn't stay hot forever. Mm-hmm. So, because it's a lot of concrete. It's a lot of concrete. A lot. So there is an issue with concrete today, though. We use so much of it i mean people think of cities these days as a concrete the concrete city i mean cities go up in china at rates that are unfathomable and there's a lot that goes into concrete you have the aggregate which is stone like granite it's like your sand almost right? and then well and then you actually have sand as well yeah. portland cement but uh, recently i came across a story which working in concrete, being an architecture student, and then learning this, we're running out of sand. I actually, someone just mentioned this the other night to me. That's so funny. Sand is so important to our survival. And the fact, well, not, okay, maybe I'm overreacting a little bit. We don't need sand, but the world- But it makes it easy, right? The world in the building world revolves around it. Yeah. Sand- is for concrete and the amount of concrete we pour every single day it's just unsustainable now you'd think we could use any sand i mean there's deserts there's the oceans you can make it out of rocks you can grind your own but it's specific right not all sand is created equal yeah so the sand 
we have sand in glass. We have sand in concrete. And those are two different types of sand. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. The sand that you find in the bottom of a lake is much better sand for glass than sand found in the desert. Do you have any idea why? The water. Does the water smooth its surface, thus making it more transparent? Not quite, but you're on something. You're close. That's the biggest difference I can think of, desert versus ocean. Yeah, a rock rolling down the river, you get those nice smooth stones. Yeah, on the micro form. But that is important for forming these crystals because the rough, the rough sand of the desert doesn't have that much. It's not as refined. Yeah, it's a natural process. It starts with the earth. So, I'll just read a little, a little thing though, because sand is so important, and concrete requires sand, glass requires sand, but the industry has actually become so big and it's so scarce that there's crime now around sand crime in Africa and Asia. There's these whole sand wars of people fighting to create sand and get the good sand. Yeah. It's, it's like the wild west, but people are hunting for sand. It's a resource like any resource. Yeah. That's, it's like oil. That's, you know, we're running out of oil. We're running out of sand. Now my first question is, is the price jumping up for, for the sand? I'm sure price is up, and that's why people are fighting over it. I would Some say money. so, but not to not to a crazy, crazy extent. Yeah. But it's still an important thing to look at. Everything built in the city here starts with concrete foundations. Everything built anywhere. I was walking here to yeah. the studio, and I saw two concrete trucks. I saw one pouring the basement in one area. And I saw the another one pouring in another spot just down the road. Sidewalks two different companies are concrete and drainage systems are concrete the thing is you can't recycle concrete that's right you can't like if you have a wood building you can recycle the wood or you can use recycled wood yeah aluminum steel steel can be melted down and turned into something else concrete is a rock could you grind it up into a pot now because it's activated it was a chemical reaction, so it was already activated, so you can't... It already um, has aggregate in it. You can't really break it down to its bare forms because it's changed chemical makeup. That's how to become rich. Find a chemical that can break, break down, down concrete. solid concrete into its original forms, and then you filter them out, and then you'd be rich. So that's the <laughs> issue right now with Whoa. the whole industry. Yeah. What do we do about all this concrete? Because think of these large lots. When they get knocked down, they just have to excavate it. I mean, you can break it down into gravel, but... Mm-hmm. You can't rebuild a building with concrete. I can't say, oh, we'll take all this concrete and then we'll break it down and then we'll throw it in the truck with some chemicals and then we'll re-pour it. You can do that with wood, kind of. You can reclaim wood and turn it into something else. You can do it with steel and aluminum and all these other things. But when it comes to concrete, especially since a lot of it has rebar in it, you're kind of you're kind of out of luck when it comes yeah. to what we're going to do in the future when it involves this concrete. So of course as an architecture student I'm like yeah, concrete, think of all the forms I can make. I can dream up any crazy curve and I can probably make it happen. And I'm working in concrete. I'm like, "Wow, look at all these people who have been doing it for years. They're making money." And then I find out stuff like this. I'm like, "Oh, should we be doing this?" 
Yeah. Maybe there's better solutions out there. What are some other options doing of doing foundations? Well, so there's you can do a, less of a foundation. You can do less of a foundation, but it's also you don't necessarily need to build a building out of concrete. Yeah. There's recent pushes right now to actually use more mass timber, mm-hmm. which are you take wood and you glue it tons and tons of layers together and it's as strong as steel. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, are cinder blocks a form of concrete? Yes. Okay, it's just a less fine concrete, yeah. So what actually happens with mass timber is due to the building laws changing in 2019, they are now, you in America, you could only do like six stories out of wood. But now we're going to start seeing wooden skyscrapers across America because the building codes now allow it. We talked about that, Thomas. Remember? Yeah. Skyscrapers. Yeah, that's wild. Now, I think right away fire hazard right away, but I'm sure they have it processed to a point where it's... Wood is very resilient to fire. People don't realize. Yeah. I mean, think about all those old buildings that survived World War II. A lot of the wood still... Lasted even through fires. Well, if you it's need thick enough wood. You, you know? need to think of it like if I have a log, and I don't, I don't break it. I don't hit it with an axe, and it's just a raw form. Mm-hmm. If you put that in a fire, it doesn't really burn. No, it's kind of when it's stringy and fibrous, it can penetrate more. Yeah, some wood's actually fire resistant. So completely. when you have such a dense block of wood, the risk of fire actually decreases, and that carbon layer that comes about from burning wood strengthen it. Almost. doesn't necessarily strengthen it, but it resists fire more because all the burn, Sorry, burning burn. suspects are gone. It's just raw carbon. Wood. So we think we need to find a new way to redefine what we do when it comes to concrete. There's pushes for sand alternatives like bamboo and recycled materials. Yeah, bamboo is huge everywhere, all industries. I mean, artificial rocks and other things, but you know, we're just going to have to find something that is the same. Obviously, it's one of those things that, like, when you try to find a replacement, I always think of, like, vegan and tofu. It's, like, it's kind of like meat, but it's not meat. <laughs> it's the impossible burger of building. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's not necessarily sand, but sand's better. Sand is better. So, it's kind of, we need to find the best solution for this. But for now, I mean. Look around you and see how much concrete there is. There is plenty out there there's a lot i'm sure the floor on your block is actually probably metal deck with a slab of concrete on it i'm shocked how much open concrete there is in the new library there's a lot plenty of it it's a style thing but also it's function because it's so basic so easy to clean no frills maybe we should do it back like the romans did maybe they knew something maybe so but they did know something that's for sure not one, enough, though. Not enough. Not enough for us. No. But no. you know what? Hopefully one day we'll all be green. We'll love the earth. Everything will be better. We'll be living subterranean in a nuclear winter. Yeah, or that. But That's I think for organic. now we'll just make two top, make some podcasts, have some fun. Drink some agave worm. Yeah, <laughs> and to dream of a better concrete future. Wow. But I think that's what we have for this episode of two top absolutely yeah we hope you learned something today we kind of covered some ancient culture to modern culture to kind of consumerism in a way you know and you know what that's what we're here for and i hope you guys have a good takeaway from this experience
But that's what we have for this week's episode of Two Top. Yeah, and until next week, we'll uh, see you for another Two Topics. See ya. This was Two Top, an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg. Music this episode comes from Lee Rosevere. For more info about this week's episode, visit us at twotoppodcast.com. For general inquiries and feedback, send us an email at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. See you next week for another Two Topics. Thank you.